Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name's Amy G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Today's date is Monday, May 15th. Today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are on page 40 in the first full paragraph, talking about Fred. Today's readers are, and thank you for your service, Meg F., Wendy M., and our other readers, Deborah K., Libby E., Yesterday's reference numbers uh, for Sunday Special Edition is 9937. That's 9937. And for this morning's 7 a.m. meeting, 9941. That's 9941. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors, and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask for Deborah Kay to read the 12 steps. Go ahead, Deb. Good morning. This is Deborah Kay from Oregon. I am a recovering compulsive overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, (coughs) made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and and the power to carry that out. Twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Thank you for letting me serve, and I pass. Thank you. And now I will ask for Libby E. to go ahead and read the 12 traditions. You're on, Libby. Thank you, Amy. Good morning. I'm Libby E., a compulsive eater in New York. The 12 traditions, one. Our common welfare should come first. Recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except the matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group will never endorse, finance, or lend the OA names to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. 
Nine, OAS such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Libby E. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. If you run over, you'll hear me say time. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 again to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted, and please try to avoid sharing on your speakerphone. Today, we resume our study in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous on page 40 in the first full paragraph, and I'm going to ask Wendy M. to get us started. Go ahead, Wendy. Yes, good morning. It's Wendy M., recovered in Colorado, and so grateful to be on the line. Amy, thank you so much for your service this morning. We heard no more of Fred for a while. One day, we were told that he was back in the hospital. This time, he was quite shaky. He soon indicated he was anxious to see us. The story he told is most instructive, where here was a chap absolutely convinced he had to stop drinking, who had no excuse for drinking, who exhibited splendid judgment and determination in all his other concerns, yet he was flat on his back nevertheless. Let him tell you about it. I was much impressed with what you fellows said about alcoholism, and I frankly did not believe it would be possible for me to drink again. I rather appreciated your ideas about the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink, but I was confident it could not happen to me after what I had learned. I reasoned I was not so far advanced as most of you fellows, that I had been been usually successful in licking my other personal problems and that I would therefore be successful where you men had failed. I felt I had every right to be self-confident, that it would be only a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. Okay, again, Wendy, recovered in Colorado, grateful, grateful to be abstinent today. Um, So there's so much here. And the first thing I want to say to Fred feel like I want to talk to him directly, is I want to say that it's easier to be entirely abstinent than it is to be in the food. And that's just true. That's been my experience. And when I talk to prospects, I try to remember to tell them that. It's actually easier to be entirely abstinent than to be in the food. And I say that because um, to me it looks like Fred is in two different worlds. Like his head gets it that there's a problem but the rest of him doesn't. And somebody said this earlier today, and I just think it's worth noting that the first paragraph is we, we, and us. And then the second paragraph when uh, Fred is talking directly to us, I think there's 11 eyes and one me, or maybe two me's. It doesn't really matter. The point's made. Um, and that's the world I lived in. I lived in 11 eyes. Um, there was no room for God. Uh, and this is when I was abstinent, and I'll call it abstinent-ish. You know, I lived in the world of I, and I didn't even know there was a we. 
I didn't even know there was that I was in self, you know, and they say you don't know what you don't know. Um, I was sponsoring people and I was what I thought was abstinent, but I was living in the two worlds, you know, one dangling in one world um, and then the other dangling in, in the me and the I and the self. Um, and I don't beat myself up um, because I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, but I really, really relate to Fred. And, um, you know, I grew up analyzing everything. I wanted to figure everything out. And I figured if I could figure out relationships with men, for example, I would get what I want. Um, you know, and I could, you know, it was all a matter of willpower. And, um, you know, and that's, that's how I was going to run the show. And, um, yeah, it was exhausting. And I love this word, keeping on guard. That's completely how I felt about myself and others, myself and my body, myself and my mind. How can I just keep on guard? That is an exhausting job, you know, and now I know that's God's job, not mine. Um, But that's what I grew up with, you know, how can I keep on guard? As long as I can control it, it'll be fine, I'm sure. Um, And, you know, and then it's not. And when I talk to new prospects, too, um, you know, they have a lot of self-knowledge. They have plenty of self-knowledge. But they have to be desperate. And thank God a year ago I got desperate. Thank God I was able to really turn the whole thing over. But it was because I was desperate. I wanted what my sponsor had. I wanted and I was willing to go to any length to get it. Um, and the other thing I didn't know for 16 years in program was that it's an action program. I had no idea. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of unbelievable to me when I open up this book and I read it. I, I thought I read it. Um, and um, anyways, it's, it's a brand new book, thank God. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share it. Thank you, Wendy. Okay, so who would like to share on what was read? Judy P. Meg F. Okay, Judy, Meg. Anybody else? Definitely take a few more. Charles D. Kristen. Kristen R. Robin M. Kristen R. Robin M. Well, that's a good group. I'll chime in there, too. All right, so we have Judy P., Meg F., Charles D., Kristen R., Robin M. Okay, Judy, please go ahead. Hi. Good morning, and thanks for your service. Judy P., compulsive overeater from central New Jersey. And, um, you know, I love what he wrote because I felt this, that I felt confident it could not happen to me after what I had learned. And I think about um, the first relapse I had after this huge recovery you know, I think about five years of abstinence, recovery, recovered, spiritual awakening, the whole shebang. And I was convinced, convinced I could never gain back my weight. I thought I was immune from weight gain. Um, yet, I was still eating more than I needed to and then eating foods that were clearly not on my food plan. But the insane belief that I had the power to stop myself from gaining weight. and the scary thing is, is I believe that to be the truth. It was my truth. And that is the frightening thing. And, and it says, you know, we don't know the truth from the false. And it's true. So I was convinced that everything I had learned could keep me from eating. And I knew the problems that it caused me. I, I knew the morbid obesity, all of it, the humiliation, the shame. But, you know, the disease, I don't know, the disease perhaps has no memory. Or it goes right back into that uh, delusional thinking. Um, But, you know, to me, this is just such a powerful story because it will never matter how long I'm in recovery, how big my spiritual awakening, how close I am with God. uh, None of it is going to matter if I I don't continue to enhance my spiritual life. And um, if I don't look at my behaviors every day, especially around uh, pride and ego with having a physical recovery and I always say, you know, that's a downside of the physical recovery. You have a physical recovery. And if you come from a place of obesity or morbid obesity, you know, it can almost be a curse as much as a blessing. 
So um, I'm really grateful. I was just talking with um, a sponsee this morning who's just going through the doctor's opinion and and starting Bill's story. And I think, my God, and I still get so grateful that if Bill and Ebby did not have that conversation in the kitchen, I would still be morbidly obese searching for the perfect diet. And it, it, it just still blows my mind. And I would not believe in God. And God is the most important part of my life by miles today. So because of this one conversation in the kitchen table, I believe in God. And I have a solution to my compulsive overeating disease. Blows my mind. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Judy P. Meg F., your turn, please. Hi, good morning, Meg F. Can I be heard? Yes. Hi, Meg F., Recovered, California. Good morning, and thank you all. Um, Fred, so I'm reading along a minute. It just stands out at me. Um, you know, the story you told was most, ins- told was most instructive. Um, a chap was absolutely convinced he had to stop. And they say, who had no excuse for drinking. You know, I guess if you have a house and a family and a wife and a, you know, a car, and you should have no excuse for drinking. It's like, so then I like looked and I spent years and decades like my mother died when I was little. Then my aunt, then my stepmom. Like, I had excuses. I had people dropping like flies around me. It's like, like I always had an excuse. Like that is so, the the idea though that, eating would help those things like what is more pathetic it's like nothing helped those things those things just hurt and what I had to do was feel and have a higher power or have have help with whatever was helping but sitting alone with M&Ms in a uh, refurbished garage was not a good idea you know like it was not helpful I just was so I'm so struck by that this morning that that literally, and now I really live in this. That's, I guess, why it's so striking to me because I've had the 50 pounds off for a really long time. You know, the last 15 are really bothersome. But for for decades now, they've been like kind of this bothersome. But it's not the 15 or the 20. It's the subtle insanity of running my life and thinking I'm in charge and and just being unable to do step three, which I read this weekend. And it was like, I've never read those first two paragraphs when it really says, you know, if you haven't done this part, if you haven't turned your will over. Like, it's like I have no excuse for not wanting a fabulous life, right? I could want a life that hurts a little less or I could want a little less grief, but to not want a fabulous life or a connection with all good and, and things that, that enhance my ability to serve others or to make a decision to not be crazy in my head about something else I didn't get or another house I wanted or that my kids aren't at the right college or that I didn't do the right this or that just goes on and on. And then it says, you know, the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink. And I've said on the line and I thought that, you know, it says just pages before, you know, we sometimes reflected more about the consequences than Jim did, you know, and now here's Fred saying, you know, whatever, like, I didn't, I understood what you meant about that. But for me, the trivial excuse for taking the first bite in comparison to what happens to everything about me, like, and I know when I'm in line at Baskin Robbins that I'm already angry with the person ahead of me. I haven't even started the binge yet, but I'm already ready to knock down children. You know, like, it's stupid and the whole thing about me changes and I start to hate myself immediately. So what what would be a good reason for that? Your mother dying? You should then hate your life? It's like there is no ease and comfort in it. And that's the real insanity for me that I really feel like is it's just hard to even get your brain around, my brain around, that that I choose eating as a way of coping. And lastly, I went to a meeting that wasn't my program, and it was one of the only meetings I've been to. I've been to thousands that I did relate to, but this one I didn't relate to. And I sat there struck by how all my friends who have joined me at an OA meeting, an open OA meeting that aren't compulsive overeaters, must sit and think, God, that is really a strange thing to think that helps. <laughs> so with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Meg F. Charles D., it's your turn. All right. Well, thank you, and thank you for your service. And this is Charles. I'm uh, recovered from Oregon. Well, um, from a very early age, I had this disease. 
of compulsive overeating and um, at a certain point I recognized that um, I wasn't making any progress in being able to control the food. Um, I, I wanted to control it, but I didn't want to give it up on the, on the, at, at the same time. But I, I decided I, I could use some help because um, I wasn't making any any progress myself. I was still eating myself sick. And so first I went to an eating disorder counselor. Um, she helped, but eventually she she couldn't help me anymore. And she, she suggested a way. I went to a way and um, got some help there. Um, uh, but, you know, there was uh, some improvement maybe, but my disease was getting worse and I wasn't really making that much progress. So I, I've, I mean, people have told me about the disease and that it, it's going to, it's going to get worse. It's not going to go away on its own. And I, um, I needed to, you know, work, work the program. Well, um, you know, they kind of left it up to me to work, work the program in my own style. And that was basically going to a few meetings and, uh, Maybe reading some of the literature, but um, but that didn't help. And so many years just passed um, in and out of OA, um, not doing a whole lot of anything, but uh, with my disease getting worse. So I um, I knew about it, but I didn't really do anything about it until um, the disease got so bad it started to really devastate my life. And I thought, well, I better really talk to some people who really are working the program and and find out how they're doing this. So then I became more realistic about where I was really at. And at the same time, I really realized I was close to the end of, of wanting to give it up, wanting to give up the food. I mean, I, wa I couldn't control it. It was controlling me. It was just dev devastating my life. And um, so... Thankfully, um, I came to my senses. Um, my higher power maybe uh, showed me the, the truth of the matter, and um, I, I decided to, to really give myself to the program. And so that meant um, finding a higher power and getting a sponsor and, um, and starting to do some of the work. And for the first time, after just kind of sitting on the sidelines uh, of OA, um, it started. It, it started to work with uh, more commitment and um, a greater willingness to uh, see the truth. Thank you very much. Thank you, Charles C. Kristen R. Your turn. Thank you for your service. Um, my name is Kristen R. I'm a food addict, recovered, not cured, in Virginia, and. Um, I so relate to this paragraph. I feel like my name should be Fred um, because I have that subtle insanity. My addict brain experiences subtle insanity every day, and I need to remain aware of that insanity or else it's going to eat me alive, no pun intended. Um, this subtle insanity wants me to behave in compulsive ways such as binge eating. and, and my subtle insanity will tell me that the only way to feel better is to isolate myself, to sit very still on the couch, and to eat in isolation. And the only way to feel better would be if I just don't move and I just don't feel anything. Then I'll be okay. Um, and that's crazy. That is insane. Um, I even hear myself saying it out loud, and I'm like, how could I possibly have that thought? And yet, when those thoughts come up, they seem to be the most real things in the world. And I've tried everything um, to, you know, I've tried every kind of diet. I've, I've eaten so many different ways throughout my life, binge. And, but the only thing that has worked is my higher power because it takes on my subtle insanity, and none of those other things did. No human power can deal with my subtle insanity. You know, my subtle insanity is the one that, that is like a four-year-old and believes everything is, like, true. And it's like living in a fun house. All my emotions are distorted. Um, I take things the wrong way that people are saying. I overreact. Um, and if I'm not connected to my higher power on a daily basis, 
if I'm thinking that I can just exercise my willpower and keep on guard and just, you know, really watch out, um, then I'm going to relapse. I'm absolutely going to relapse. Um, because I can't just exercise my willpower. If I could, I would. And I can't just keep on guard because I've tried that and it doesn't work. Not only doesn't it work, but it kills me because it wants me to sit on the couch and waste away. Um, so I need to keep connected with my higher power. I need to do the opposite of what my subtle insanity wants me to do. I need to reach out. I need to talk to people. I need to make phone calls when I'm in, when my subtle insanity is talking. I need to follow a food plan. I need to be in touch with my sponsor. I need to be honest about my feelings and about all the crazy thoughts that go through my head. Because when I keep those crazy thoughts to myself, when I don't do inventories every day, when I'm not calling people to turn things over, when I'm not reaching out to help others, then I'm really in the crazy. Then I get back in the food. And I need to make sure that never happens again by trusting my higher power and admitting that I have to turn everything over to my higher power or or I'm going to die from this disease. Um, Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Kristen. Robin M., it's your turn. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Robin M., compulsive overeater, recovered from Georgia. Um, I love this reading, and thank you, everybody, for your shares. Um, I always get so much out of this meeting. But what really... Um, stands out to me in this reading is the subtle insanity. I have that underlined and circled and squared. Um, to me, that that's that that cunning, baffle, cunning, baffling, powerful piece of this disease, um, where that I guess mental twist steps in, and uh, I'm so powerless. I'm just so powerless. Um, and there's been so many times in trying to overcome this disease that I've said to myself, um, okay, you know, this is it. I'm going to do it this time. Um, uh, there's no way I'll go back out. Uh, I've just said that uh, probably a million times. Um, if, you know, yeah, at least I feel a thousand times to be honest about it. I just feel like I've done that for so long, so many years. Um, just said I've, I've, you know, I've got it. I'm going to do it. It's going to, you know, this time is going to be different. Um, all of those, uh, you know, sayings I've said to my, or lies I've said to myself, totally believing that that this time would be different. And, um, uh, you know, if it says I felt ever I had every right to be self-confident that it would be only a matter of exercising my willpower, and that's what happens to me. I get into this, you know, I start feeling better. I've, I've you know, maybe become abstinent. I start feeling better, and I start relying on my own, own self. I start resting on my own laurels, and I start thinking I don't need God. I don't intentionally say that. I know I don't intentionally do that, but that's what happens. Something's flips and I start thinking I can do this without you guys. I start thinking I can skip a meeting here and there. I, I think that, oh, this time I can have a little of this with my food plan. And that's just that's just happened so many times in, in my years of trying to recover from this disease. Um, so I can really get a lot out of these paragraphs and, and Fred's story. Um, and I'm just, I'm grateful. I have a solution today. I, I'm grateful for you guys. And I love what someone shared, you know, the, that HP can uh, take on the, the subtle insanity today. That makes so much sense to me. And that's the answer for me today is, is my higher power, um, you know, working in my life today, me going to my higher power rather than resting on my own laurels. And, and also, you know, having the support of you guys, um, and this program and, and everything that, you know, all the suggestions that we have in, in, in place for this program. So with that, I will pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Robin. My name's Amy G. I'm a recovered uh, compulsive overeater from Maryland. The first sentence just really strikes me. We heard no more of Fred for a while. Uh, the saying in the rooms is this is a, a disease that would love to destroy you while you're living in the process of killing you. And I know that for me, as this disease progressed in my life, it robbed me of so much of my life. I don't regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it, as they say, but it did 
do serious damage in my life, and I didn't even know it before I came to Overeaters Anonymous. I just thought I needed to get on a diet and stay well. I didn't know, just like Fred. You know, I didn't know. And why wouldn't we? I mean, the world says use your willpower, use your brain, and I didn't know I had a subtle mental twist, you know, that I had crossed the line into a compulsive overeater that this was not going to work with me, but I didn't know that. And I know that's why we talk about building a foundation, a bottom upon which we're willing to work this program like our life depends upon it, because that's what I needed to to do. I needed to know without a shadow of a doubt that my willpower and my knowledge was not going to fix me of this disease because of my mental obsession, because of that subtle insanity. But that took a lot of pain and suffering. I had a lot of experiences like Fred, and we're going to learn more about his experiences, where with all my knowledge and all my willpower, I still did not stand a chance uh, against this disease. I failed every single time. And he had to be convinced, just like I had to be convinced. And he showed splendid judgment in many other areas of his life, you know, like it talks about in this paragraph. And that's what's so crazy and insane and so cunning and baffling about this disease to me is that I could exhibit fine judgment in other areas of my life and I could achieve and I could use my willpower and I could use my brain power and I could achieve. How is it that I couldn't control an inanimate object like food? But I didn't know I had an allergy. I didn't know I had a mental obsession. And even coming into Overeaters Anonymous, it took me a while to really grasp the two, true nature of my powerlessness. And, um, you know, this no more, we heard no more from Fred for a while. I just want to say a shout out for those of us in our home groups where people have come in and we haven't seen them for a while. doesn't hurt for a reach out call and give some service because sometimes that happens. We don't, we don't know how long this disease is going to take, what it's going to take with people. And I just remember people reaching out to me and giving me a call if I had disappeared over those first five years and over years anonymous, what happened, where would I go? And I think those calls were very, very important, and it's a good part of our service and our program, staying spiritually fit. And with that, I will pass. Who would like to share next? John Please K. Don't. John. John K. Elizabeth. Last initial, please. D. Okay, who else? Jody EQ. Jody. Sherry okay. Creepy. Sherry. Okay. Anybody else? Kathleen O. Kathleen O. Okay. That's a great go. John K, Elizabeth D, Jody EQ, Sherry KB, and Kathleen O. John K, your turn. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is John Kiernan, recovered compulsive reader in Los Angeles. Thanks to the Monday team for uh, service. Uh, yeah, this this whole area here talks about relapse, which happens to be one of my uh, topics that I'm you know, very concerned with and help you know into. And, and it, it's just it is it, so funny that I remember when I before I came to OA, I was just absolutely baffled about this. Uh, you know, I could do so many things. I had a I got, God gifted me with a great brain that I've used in many areas, and yet with this one thing, it just uh, it didn't matter what I knew, and I couldn't have it work. And then I found a way, and all of a sudden, everything made sense. Of course, now I understand. I understand it's a these understand the addiction. You know, this is my problem. Aha! You know. And uh, I remember thinking, that's it. Now that I understand that, I know what I have to do. I have this food plan. When I first came in, we had a food plan situation. And it's all i got to do is, is just follow that, you know. And in other words, you know, as it's in the book, it was only a matter of exercising my willpower and being on guard. Well, you know, here's what happened. I'm, I'm, I was in a way and I was going to meetings, but then I started a second career. Some, you know, I became a stand-up comic, but I had to work a day job to keep paying the rent, and all of a sudden there was no time for meetings. Uh, but I knew what I had to do. I had to follow my food plan, and it'll be fine. And the disease is so patient. It just kept waiting and kept waiting, and as the meetings dropped off to, not, to non-existent, uh, it, it, you know, all of a sudden, guess what happened? You know, um, I ended up you know, beating on the bar, asking how it just happened again, just like, just like Bill. And, uh, you know, the line I heard a few years ago that I just love 
is a person that I'm not a slow learner, I'm a quick forgetter. And that's part of the disease, is the ability to just blank on all of the negative parts of the disease. And, uh, and I, you know, I can look back now, and all I did was put the food down. You know, and that's just not going to work if you're an addict. You can't just put the food down. You may even be able to do it easily for a while, but at some point it's going to be a white knuckle, and then it's going to be into the food again. And, um, you know, I love what I heard somebody say when she put, put down the food and pick up the step in one motion. And and I know that's what I hadn't done. I hadn't enlarged my spiritual position. And, and you know, in other words, I had changed. And, you know, the old saying in program, nothing changes if nothing changes. And I hadn't done that. And now I know, like, you know, all these years later now, you know, 22 years back from a relapse, I'm not going anywhere. I keep going to meetings three times at least a week and listen to other meetings because I need a program. It's not going to matter what I know, even in program. I need a program. I need a food plan. I need a sponsor. Because I, and, you know, uh, to me, a sponsor is sort of my connection to a higher power on earth because I need that because I, you know, always joke that I can go to a mountaintop and commune with my higher power and come down convinced that uh, chocolate's a vegetable, <laughs> you know. But then when I call my sponsor, it's like, nah, not today. So I need those. I need a food plan. I need a sponsor. I need others in the program I can talk to. And most importantly, of course, I need a higher power. To me, that higher power put all those other things there for me to use, not for me to just sort of try and do this alone or alone with the higher power, but to, you know, hop in the world boat that we were given. And with that, I pass. Thank you, John. Elizabeth D., please go ahead. Star one to unmute, Elizabeth. Okay. Well, if you get back on, Elizabeth, let us know. Um, Can you hear me? Oh, is that Elizabeth? Yes. God. There I'm we sorry. go. I'm no so. I, I had my own phone muted as well as the conference thing, so I'm sorry. Please go ahead. No problem. Um, okay. So my name is Elizabeth, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, you know, this is a really good, uh, every, every story they have in the book, um, I can see myself in it. And this is one that I see very strongly, although I couldn't identify this until after I had, you know, the things in this, in his story and Fred's story till after I had recovered. Um, you know, I came to OA, I didn't leave, I stuck around, but what I was doing in OA was dieting. I was getting on a food plan, and I was losing weight, and um, I had I, I I got to that place where I was confident because now now I had lost the weight and I had OA. Before it was only losing the weight and a diet plan or um, meetings I went to for you know a commercial diet plan, but now I have OA, so I'm confident, right? I will not lo- I will not gain this weight back. Well, it wasn't until after I finally recovered from the disease of compulsive overeating and the obsession was removed that I could see that all I'd been doing is dieting. It took me over a decade in OA to realize that I, all I cared about was losing weight. I didn't care about not eating. I didn't care about stopping. I wanted to stop long enough to end the consequences, of course, um, but I didn't really want to stop. And that was always... Um, a block for me, and when I when I get confident that I know that's when I'm in trouble. Um, if I get confident on anything, oh, I can do this or I've got this, an alarm goes off within me, and I feel it, and, and that comes from my experience of being in OA, losing 50 pounds, and then getting confident that it's never going to happen again. Um, as soon as I get confident or self-confident, whatever you want to call it, I know that I'm in trouble. Uh, getting rid of the obsession by working the steps, God removing the obsession by working the steps, enabled me to go back and look over my experience with this disease and see that all I wanted, my motives were selfish. I wanted to be thin. I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to feel good about myself because I didn't feel good in the world. I didn't feel like I fit in. Um, 
and every time I lost weight, I did. I still didn't feel like I f- feel good or fit in, um, but I felt better. So what was that? Relief. Um, it took a long, long time of really facing up to the fact that I wanted that what I wanted was selfish, and that I had just been dieting, and that I really wasn't interested in stopping compulsive eating. I was interested in losing weight. Oh, there's my timer. Um, and once I once I came to terms with that, and um, I don't know, it just everything changed. Everything changed. The weight came off, and the obsession left. And there's been no return. And it's just an amazing, amazing miracle. But I couldn't see any of it until the obsession was gone. I had to look back afterwards, like in retrospect, and, and see it all. Um, and it's just an amazing gift, and I'm grateful, and I'm glad this meeting's here. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Jody EQ, please go ahead. Good morning. This is Jody EQ, Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. Well, my story's different from Fred's. Um, I didn't, when I came into OA, I didn't have any weight to lose, and I was not feeling that I could handle my other problems either all my problems loomed large in my life my eating problem my relationship problem I was almost suicidal so I didn't feel confident in the least Uh, not about my eating not about anything so um, I just was like a sponge to the program and to the 12 steps however (laughs) I wasn't ready to give up the food wasn't ready to give up my alcoholic foods, and I wasn't even encouraged to do so by the culture of my meat, my groups. So uh, it took years to get abstinent for the first time, and it took years um, to really work the steps. And I'm really grateful to A Vision for You for bringing this big book to life for me because uh, I do find the directions in the big book to be very straightforward and simple to follow and clear. Um, It just emphasizes the importance of working with others, which I had a really hard time doing. I had a hard time sponsoring anyone effectively for many, many years and really using the big book as a guide for sponsoring others, I find to be really helpful as well as entire abstinence. Um, and having my sponsees also be entirely abstinent from their alcoholic foods. So I don't especially relate to Fred in that I was not confident. Um, and I knew that I would um, eat compulsively and that my, my life felt like it was in a shambles. Anyway, with that, I'll pass. Thank you all for your service and for being here this morning. Thank you, Jody. So Sherry KB... You're up. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, everybody. This is Sherry KB in Northern California, Grateful Recovered Compulsive Reader. Thanks for your service this morning. Um, What jumped out at me is um, he who exhibited splendid judgment and determination in all his other concerns, yet was flat on his back nevertheless. And then it goes into the next paragraph about all these I-I-I's and a little bit of me, but mostly I's. Like I had the answer, I've got this one. That's basically what he's saying, that he was confident. And, um, you know, he he isn't as bad as you guys and so forth and so forth. And, you know, what came up for me is this, I could relate, because for me, not only my selfishness, but my pride and arrogance, uh, my pride at not asking for help, my arrogance to think that I had this one, that I ha- I could figure it out, that... Um, you know, I if I just put down the food and went on that diet and just followed that and listened to you guys and then just did what I wanted to do, I would be fine. And <clears throat> there, there's a lot of ego in there. A lot of what came really up for me was my arrogance. Um, and it kind of felt like um, it was described here so well. And um, that, you know, for years that's what I did. And my pride wouldn't let me ask for help. Um, my pride would like get in the way and they always say that the last thing to go is the food um, 
you know, I have to watch. I can't rest on my laurels. I can't, I can't use what I did yesterday and say, you know, I can, I can run on it today. Um, I have to stay with my nose in this book. I have to work with sponsors. I have to, you know, weigh and measure my food. I have to um, go to meetings. I have to go to face-to-face meetings. There's times I don't want to get up and, and go to a meeting. Um, you know, I have better things to do. That's where I know my ego. Um, that's where my disease goes. It's like it chips little by little by little. It chips off my want and my my desperation to, to keep going in this this process and um, and start relying on Sherry instead of relying on higher power, that's when I know I'm in trouble. Um, it's the little things that start building up momentum <clears throat> because my disease has all the time in the world, and that's what I started to understand is that the last thing to go is the food. It's my thinking. My thinking is is more trouble than my eating because my thinking will get me into my eating. And so I have to watch. I have to watch for myself, and that's why I, I – believe in living in 10, 11, and 12 because I have to look, watch my human buildup of emotions. I have to I have to be of service to others. I have to get out of myself and not be selfish and be useful because that's what really makes me happy. And so, and just leaning on my higher power and not thinking that I can run the Sherry Show and that I pass. Thanks. Thank you very much, Sherry. Kathleen O, we'll be wrapping up with you. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thank you. This is Kathleen O, recovered in California. Thanks, everyone, for the great shares this morning. Um, you know, I can really identify with Fred. I thought I could lick this on my own. I was self-sufficient. Um, I was successful in other parts of my life. I, you know, could do it my way. I'm different. You know, that I, 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 the ism, I, self, and me. And, you know, willpower, every time I thought that, I could do it alone and that I was going to do it, uh, that I was going to do it alone and that it was a good idea, I'd always end up failing alone as well. And so the essence of, of food, you know, food addiction and compulsive overeating is that willpower is non-existent. You know, on page 24, the fact that most alcoholics for reasons yet obscure, obscure have lost the power of choice in drink. Um, we are without defense against the first drink. And if, if I, if, you know, if, if my self-will, I mean, like Fred, even though I didn't think it was possible to take the first bite or take the bite after controlling it for certain periods of time, I would always find myself face down on the food again. So when my will conforms to my power, that's when I can use it correctly. Um, you know, self-knowledge and self-will got me here turning to the direction of my higher power keeps me here. And I just, I had to humble myself. I had to admit that I have no mental defense against the first bite. And my defense had to come from a higher power. So for me, only a spiritual existence could do for me what I couldn't do for myself. And I passed. Thank you. Okay, Kathleen. Oh, actually, we do have time for one more share, if you'd like to go ahead. If we have someone that would like to, we got uh, two minutes left. Rocky, I. Rocky, go ahead. All right, great shows, everybody. Good morning. This is Rocky Recovered in Arizona, and um, I love everybody's share. And I don't have much to say, but because uh, I'm driving and I kind of forgot the text, but uh, just. I haven't left. I came in almost uh, 32 months ago, and um, what I learned is I work my program vigorously and abstinence is effortlessly. Um, I never thought this would be possible, you know. It's a miracle. And as the more I learn with my big book, uh, the more uh, that that the more hooked I am, you know, the more, like, I have to keep on studying so that I keep convinced that food is not the solution, and then um, working my higher power, my, my two, you know, it is by conviction, and, and now it's by conversion, you know, I, I love to be abstinent as the, abstinent as the 
pay back to my higher power that has given me you guys, has given me the 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 um, big book. Uh, you know, it's just a, a little way of me paying back my higher power. And so, if um, if there's a newcomer on the line, I hope that you're really, really desperate, and um, that you just dive, you give yourself to this program, to the book, learn the big book, and every way you can, and because it works. You know, at every given point, I was like, oh, it's not gonna work for me, and boom, long and behold. Um, every every time I challenge anything in the big book, it comes to reality for me, and it's just awesome. I love it. So, um, with that, I'll pass. So, thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Rocky Eye, and I would like to thank everyone who has shared, and thank you to our readers, Wendy M, Meg F, Debbie K, and Libby E. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And I'd like to ask for Meg F. to please take us out by reading a vision for you. Meg, star one. Meg, are you there? Amy G, I can do that for you if you'd like. Okay, go ahead. Thanks, Mel. Oh, you're welcome if you don't have another. Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you for the opportunity here. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.